0: Welcome to the Blood Brothers podcast, where tonight myself and Mr Chris McDonald are joined by Amir Anwar, who is hello, uh, hello. Um, not only the author of uh, Zack and Jags, but is a CWA debut Dagger winner, as I understand it. Hello, that's fun. We're stacking up our Dagger winners, Chris. I feel, like, I feel like we're almost to, towards the sort of steak knife yeah thing. we're doing well morning <laughs> Hello <laughs> it's doing, well it's, um, I mean thanks so much for joining us um it's it's a, a genuine pleasure and uh, we've got a ton of questions from
1: from Twitter you and, understand from, Chris
0: correctly. and um, from myself <laughs> and we'll basically <laughs> just gently chat you through how the hell you've ended up being where you are.
1: <laughs> it could take some time here on a Monday night with
2: us um, well, Thanks for having me, pleasure It's really be nice here. because
1: you were you were booked in for like next April or something, weren't you? And then we were to top round um, So it's really nice because it meant that I got to I mean, your your book's been on my iPad Or my iPad, what am I about, my Kindle for ages And um, I'm pleased that I got to bump it up Because they were okay. both a lot of fun I say fun, there were some scenes where I winced a little bit, and um, we'll get on to those, but um, yeah, just... fun in the way that Gritty Yeah, that's right. The... <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Pushing the yeah.
1: yeah, I think so. I think everyone will know exactly what I'm on about. Um, oh, can you tell a us a little bit about... Um your journey to having uh, uh self-published Yeah, I, think, so, I, I
2: think I know definitely which one one of Sizzle those is. is where Rob would crack a <laughs> There we There will be other people <laughs> wincing along with you, I think, who've read it. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of a long story, so I hope you got a, <laughs> got a while. <laughs> um, so yeah, I'm I'm not one of these people who've been writing since I was like a teenager and always uh, imagined becoming an author. I I I loved to read when I was a kid and I loved writing stories up until sort of about the age of 12 when I went to high school and then everything became essays and creative writing and sort of fiction. Nah, you know, it just wasn't sort of encouraged. And uh, I kind of lost the sort of interest in creative writing, but not for reading. So I I carried on reading. And I think I was, was in my teens and I read a fantasy novel called Magician by Raymond E. Feist and that book when i finished that book i thought oh my god like that was amazing this book has taken me like to so many places emotionally it made me feel so many different things and it was just one guy putting words on paper and i thought that's that's amazing and i and i remembered that i used to love to write stories and i thought god i'd love to be able to do that and that kind of planted the seed in the back of my mm. head that oh you know i'd love to write a book one day but then looking around, yeah. I didn't see anybody like me or from my background, you know, kind of working class Asian West London writing books. And I just thought, well, you know, that, that's a bit of a pipe dream. It, you know, it, it might happen uh, one day, but, you know, who knows when, you know, that could be just one of like winning the lottery sort of thing. You know, you, you keep hoping, but it might never happen. And I didn't really think about it for for quite a while. I carried on reading and then I sort of discovered Elmore Leonard and I loved reading his stuff. And for the first time that kind of allowed me to to see that because I thought crime books were all about police and detectives up until that point. (laughs) And then when I read uh, Elmore Leonard, I saw that (laughs) you didn't need those sorts of characters. It could be an ordinary person or a small time criminal or, or actually you know just the criminal could be the hero of the story like a bank robber or something and that kind of opened up a whole new avenue and vista for me because i didn't know any policemen but i did know a few dodgy characters and i thought and i thought whoa okay i could write about people like this rather than people like that and then so that got me thinking and i thought and then i was hanging around in this in southall which is a, a big asian community in west london and i thought Oh, it'd be really great if somebody set a crime novel in this area with these sorts of characters. And I, th- I think for years I was waiting for somebody to write something like that because I would have loved to have read it and it- and nobody did. And um, I think finally, when I sort of got into writing, then I thought, well, that's what I want to do. I want to write a crime novel because that's what I love. And I'm going to set it in this area with people like uh, the guys that I know. And, Uh, It kind of happened by chance that I got back into writing, because I was, my career-wise, I was a graphic designer and art worker, and this was about the time that uh, the web was really taking off, and I thought, oh, it'd be good to learn a little bit of web design. So I did a couple of evening courses to learn a bit about HTML and stuff like that, and I found I quite enjoyed doing something interesting, something different of an evening, like one evening a week or something. And when those courses finished, I was looking for something else to do. I thought, What's what's another neat course I could do? And there was one that was an introduction to writing fiction. So, yeah, so I thought, well, hey, I've always had this like ambition in the back of my mind to try and write a book. And I used to like to write and I've got this sort of vague idea for a, a crime story set in West London. So I signed up for the course. And uh, that one was just sort of writing very short stories, like sort of thousand word short stories. But I kind of, you know, got the feel for it again. And people were really liking these short stories that I was doing. So that gave me a bit of a boost. And then I thought, all right, now, okay, I've done this course now, I'm ready to write a novel. So I tried to write the first chapter. And honestly, it was a big steaming pile of shit. <laughs> and it was awful. And I thought, oh, all right, well, I'm not quite ready then. So what do I do? And the course had finished and there was a sort of summer break. And I thought, yeah, all right, I'm going to gonna I'm gonna tackle this novel. Did I? Fuck. <laughs> I did nothing. I did nothing over the summer. I, I'm sort of, you know, I'm not used to sort of just sort of going out and loafing around and stuff with my mates. So I didn't do anything. And I sort of realised I need a course or some sort of structured thing that's going to give me a deadline, you know, to, to be writing stuff to. I needed to kind of be forced to do it. And that course was a sort of affiliated with uh, Birkbeck, uh, part of University of London. Nobody did. And no. they did a graduate <laughs> level certificate. It was a two-year course in creative writing. So I, I applied to do that, and I, I got accepted onto that course. So the first year was, uh, like, there was four modules. So it was fiction, poetry, drama, and critical theory. I still don't understand critical theory, <laughs> so. But um, yeah, but drama, drama, I really enjoyed, and poetry, I thought I was going to hate, but I really enjoyed it, and I, you know, I did really well on on all those aspects. But the second year of the course, you picked for a whole year, you you picked one of those sort of options, and I knew I wanted to write a novel as much yeah. as I enjoyed drama and and poetry, so I went on to the f- fiction part for the second year. And right at the beginning of the, the year, there was a little sort of brief one-to-one with the tutor. And she said, what do you hope to to get out of the, doing this course? And I was very emphatic. I was the only genre writer there as well. Everyone, because it was a very literary fiction. There was no such thing at that at that point as sort of crime writing courses. But now, now there are quite a lot. So I was the only one writing genre fiction. And, and I said straight away, you know, I want to write a novel. It's gonna be a crime thriller like, and I want to get published. Like though that that was my goal. And I was really, I was really definite. And a lot of the other people, you know, they sort of go on the courses and they don't really have like a fixed idea of of what they want to do. You know, I think maybe they think the muse will sort of strike them during the course. Yeah. And uh so I yeah, you know, I tried right in the opening of this not the one that had been so bad before when I'd attempted it. I tried it again and it and it wasn't it wasn't still wasn't that good and then i thought well i need something to help me so i went back to elmore leonard and i read um, so i read one of the books that i'd enjoyed 52 pickup and that's sort of about an ordinary guy who gets caught up in in sort of criminal activities and stuff so i was reading that and that same weekend the uh, the mel gibson film payback was on It'll repeat and i love that film <laughs> so i watched that film and I was reading that book. And then on the Sunday, I tried to write the opening chapter. And I think those influences kind of combined to, to l- let me get it right. So I had this first chapter that, that wasn't, like, really pooey. <laughs> and and it, so I, I submitted it to the class. And we said, oh, it's really good. I mean, it wasn't perfect. So, you know, it went through a workshopping thing. I got some feedback. And then I sort of improved it and stuff. And now I think for the, the last few years before I got to that point, I'd heard about the, the crime rights association and the debut dagger competition. And I kept thinking, Oh, I want to enter. I want to enter, but I never had anything like that. I could enter for it. But all of a sudden I had this first chapter and it was around sort of November time anyway. And the competition sort of closes in January. So I thought, Oh, what the hell, you know, I'll, I'll send it off. I've got nothing to lose. And I thought, I'll actually I'll get my first rejection because I need to get used to this whole uh, you know the the path to <laughs> getting published is going to be sort of paved with rejection so I might as well get used to it so I entered the competition and didn't think anything of it and um, after after sort of the new year I had to think about whether I wanted to do an MA in creative writing and I thought well if I don't do an MA I'm just going to end up down the pub or something so so. <laughs> So I signed up to do an MA and then I got a letter in the post one day and I thought, oh, this is from one of the universities that I've applied to for the MA and I opened it up and it was a letter from the CWA saying, oh, you've been shortlisted. <laughs> so I was like, bloody hell, that's amazing. Like, And so then I thought at that point, oh, great. Uh, when I eventually finish writing this novel, then I can wave this letter at, at, at sort of prospective agents or something and say, oh, look, I was shortlisted once, you know, <laughs> I'm not that shit. Have, please read my work. Um, and a, and, a and so, <laughs> you know, I carried on. I, that was it. I mean, I was like, oh, that was great. <laughs> I didn't expect any more than that. And um, I was invited to the awards <laughs> ceremony in London, you know, back in the days before COVID, you could go along. And it was. I was there for the jolly up three course dinner and like loads of booze so uh, i well yeah uh, and i always say I, I was the wine waiter's best friend that evening because every time he every time he was coming round, i was like necking my glass and this well yeah top up please and uh, so they announced you know they they read out the shortlistees and they announced the winner and it, it was me and I was half cut by that point as well because I wasn't ex- wasn't expecting to win.
0: And so
2: I had to get up, and, and honestly, there was this like massive dining room full of all of the biggest sort of <laughs> crime writers in in the country, and I had to sort of like wend my way between these tables, get on stage without falling over, accept the award, thank a few people, shut up, and then get back to my seat. But. Wow, yeah, yeah,. <laughs> yeah. And then oh, after, afterwards at the bar, I was like talking so many people coming up to me and 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 congratulating me and stuff. but and uh, yeah, I was you know, I was having some celebratory uh, champagne and getting even more drunk. so and the next day I had uh, I was emailed by four different agents wanting to read um, the full manuscript. What? What? Uh, what? Would what you mean a full manuscript? The the debut I dagger is for the opening chapter of an unpublished novel, and that was literally all I had. And I sort of le- yeah, you laugh. I learned subsequently. I learned what most people do is write the whole bloody novel, and then and then send in the first chapter, so you know, so they they're ready to go. They can get signed up by an agent and everything. <laughs> But I, I had no idea and I had I didn't expect to win or anything so they were saying oh yeah yeah we'd like to read the rest of the novel and I was like oh I haven't written it yet uh, but at point I had about 3 chapters and they said oh okay well when you finish writing wow. it you know send it to us and I thought bloody how long's that going to be but one agent said well okay that's that <laughs> fine I'll still sign you and, uh, and it turned out to be the same agent as Val McDermott and Belinda Bauer and, and, and well-known writers like that. So I signed with her and she said, OK, how long is it going to take you to finish writing a novel? <laughs> Which kind of put me on the spot because it's, it's not like I, I had, you know, a couple of attempts in a drawer somewhere. So I had a rough idea of how long it, it might take. Complete novice. And so I just sort of I was thinking, I was thinking, what's a suitably sort of long amount of time that it might take someone to write a novel? And I said, I was six months. And she didn't bat an eyelid. She must she must have thought, six months, that's that's two novels a year. Oh, cha-ching, you know, there, money spinner. Great. Anyway, so well, I, I, went to do any I went away. I went away. And uh, five years later I sent her a draft I was happy with. Yeah. And everyone was like, oh, my God, And she waited? She didn't just sort of, like you know, sever oh. all sort of knowledge and, like, rip up the contract and, and everything. I said, no. And, um, I said, yeah, okay, I wasn't sort of, like, needy and saying, oh, you know, what do you think of this? What do you think of that? I was just, you know, on my own. And I was thinking.
0: It I mean, that should have an award in <laughs> itself.
2: Yeah, but the thing is, I had this up the pressure on my back because I'd said six months. So every month over that sixth, I was like, oh my God, I'm so late. I'm so late. And then they, Another I mean, in the bag, don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and um, I would get an email sort of every year saying, you know, basically, how are you? Are you still alive? Are you still writing? And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm on it, I'm on it. But, you know, at that point, <laughs> I'm almost there. <laughs> but but at, by that point, I was I was working full-time, I was doing an MA part-time, and uh, I just had a daughter as well. So I was pretty busy, you know, life, yeah. So I was sort of squeezing in the writing as and when and wherever I could. And so after five years, I, and I think I'd done, like, The first draft of the book I wrote out in longhand as well, in notebooks, just because writing on the computer, I found I was obsessing over sentences and paragraphs. And so if I had like a two-hour little segment of time to write, I would just obsess over the one passage. And, you know, after two hours, I'd have maybe a paragraph, whereas writing longhand, after two hours, I'd have about two or three pages. (laughs) So the progress was better. There's only so much editing you can do in, in pen. You know, you can just cross it out and think, oh, that's a better word there. So that kind of forced me forward. Just imagine how long it would have taken if I hadn't done it that way. So, um, so I had these notebooks. That took about 18 months just to get a first draft done. And then in my mind, I thought, all right, that's it. All I've got to do now is like transcribe it, type it up, and then, bosh, Send, send send, it off, but I was reading it back and I was going, like Elmore the elephant. <laughs> well, I was reading it back, going, Hang on a minute, this is nothing like what I thought it was, what I'd imagined it to be. Read it like when I was writing it down, it sounded like Elmore Leonard, and then when I was reading it back, it sounded like me at the age of 10 or something. <laughs> yeah, Barney the dinosaur. So I was like, Oh no, so. I basically had to read what I'd written, reimagine it, and then completely rewrite it. so i so I basically rewrote the whole thing every almost every word of it. And then I read it back, and it was slightly better. But so I, I went through about five rewrites, and then I thought, okay, now I'm happy with it. I sent it off to my agent thinking, that's it. Gold dagger next. and, and then and then um, and, and then I got this really nice email back. Uh, a couple of a few weeks later and it said uh oh you know really well done on finishing the book you know that's a fantastic mm-hmm. achievement you've got some really good bits here <laughs> but and then the rest of the email just kind of listed there was like a few paragraphs about oh we think you need to do this you need to do that and i was like crestfallen it's like what just spent five, five years like working on that." anyway so i left it for a while and i was really kind of in a shit mood for about two two weeks after getting that email and then uh, then i you know the more i thought about it i thought yeah okay I, I get what they're saying and i was already starting to think about how i could implement their suggestions and things anyway what with work and and all sorts of you know life stuff that took another two years and another two drafts to get it to get it right and then uh and then i was waiting to hear back if there were any more uh edits needed and you know i hadn't heard anything for about six weeks or so and then i sort of very sort of tentatively i thought all right listen i said six months and i've taken like five years like seven years in total and they've only been six weeks and here's me getting all edgy edgy and like come on what's going on so i i felt a bit bad but anyway i sent them an email (laughs) so i sent an email and i said uh, you know oh um i was just wondering if there's you know there's any more work for me to to do on the book but what happened is that the my editor had um my agent had uh, signed it off on it and gone to australia and my editor thought that my agent had told me that it was all okay and so when i got an email back it said oh didn't you hear? Yeah, no, it's all fine. It's already gone on submission, so it's gone out to all the publishers. So I was like, all right. So then I was even more nervous. I was sort of waiting and waiting for weeks, and then gradually, all the all um, all the all the, uh, the nos came back. It was getting rejected by everyone. So ultimately, it was rejected by uh, thirty publishers, all the big publishing houses, all the big imprints that it went to. They all turned it down. So which was which is a real gutter after all that work. And my agent, you know, she was really sort of behind it and stuff. And I think uh, <clears throat> the main thing is that all the feedback was really good. So that was really sort of disconcerting, I mean, disconcerting because you need to throw in pretty do much you everyone know, was saying, oh, it's really well written. Me? You know, it's got great character, <laughs> great setting, right? great action, great dialogue. <laughs> um, and I was like, well, hang on a minute. What else, no what else are they looking know, for? They? You know, if it's, if it's got no, don't all don't know, of those things. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, i like. So if you had check boxes for everything you'd want in a thriller, it was like tick, 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 tick. And, and so I was like, I was, yeah. So um, I think one there was one particular comment that was that was particularly telling, right, and yeah. that kind of then gave me an inkling of why it was getting turned down. And the editor had said that I, I, I couldn't visualise it breaking out to yeah. a broad audience. And I think by broad, broad meant white there's because there's not the many book, Asians yeah, because, around. Because the is book is convinced. set in South, so, and, so it's like Asian, all Asian characters, a lot of Asian <laughs> references, um, and, and they just didn't think that that would appeal to to a mainstream readership. And well, not even not even that, but there's not many boy wizards either, are there? Really? Let's face it. So, or hobbits or so i mean what the fuck that that doesn't so that that didn't really like i wasn't feeling that response i was just like that that's a bit that's a bit that's a bit shitty and i've very much written the book to appeal to anyone you know the fact that it's set in that area doesn't mean you have to be from that area to read it i mean like you especially like with scandinavian crime fiction that's really popular but you don't have to sort of live in you know five feet of snow to be able to appreciate all of that and and the weather and you know the different customs and stuff like that so my my agent at that point was she was really knocked as well i remember we were in a we managed to get a meeting with a very senior editor at publishers and uh yeah i still remember this so we were talking about books in general and stuff and then my agent was very much sort of like um well okay you know you have you know you said no to the book but you know what is it what are the issues is you know is it the plot or is it uh, something to do with the the style anything like that you know it can be fixed so just you know tell us what it needs what it's missing (laughs) and he couldn't say anything because you know how can he turn out well it's got too many brown people in it I mean, mean, he'd have been hauled over the coals or something. Um, Anyway. (laughs) Um, So my agent basically said, well, I think you're mad for not taking it on. But that is what it was. (laughs) And then my agent said, look, you know what? No, no one sort of bought this. Why don't you just, we'll put it in a drawer and, and leave that there. And why don't you just start on writing something different? And I went away and I sort of, (laughs) <laughs> so I stewed over it for a, a, a month or so and I was sort of coming up with ideas for other books and stuff and then I thought you know what all that feedback was good they all liked the book and the only thing they it kind of I got the feeling they didn't like was that it the yeah. Asianness of it and so I thought you know what I'm gonna fuck it. I'm gonna self-publish it and I want to get it put it out there and I want to I want people to read it and then I'll get a proper kind of reader's evaluation and see what readers think. Because at the end of the day, it's the readers who are going to buy it and whether they, you know, see whether they like it or not. So, you know, I'd never imagined that I would self publish and I didn't, it wasn't an avenue that I particularly wanted to go down. Uh, I I always thought I'd get a, you know, get a a proper uh, traditional publisher and then I could just concentrate on writing so i had to learn how to self-publish from from scratch but fortunately with my background in sort of like print and design and stuff like that i sort of stalked um publishers online so on twitter and facebook and stuff and and i was seeing how they launched their books and they were doing all these like neat little graphics so i would just download their graphics and use them as templates and create my own and i went and i'd uh, did took took some photographs in Southall, designed the cover. I was at a self-publishing event in uh, Central London, and Clays, who are the big book pub, uh, printers who print for a lot of the big publishing houses, they was do they, they said that they would uh, help in self-published authors to to print paperback copies. So I looked into how to do that, and then I taught myself how to typeset a book via via YouTube, and because I knew how to use the software. So I typeset the thing, I designed the cover, I've got my own barcode and ISBN numbers. I set up a fake publisher. I, I even designed a little logo to go on the spine of the book. So it would look, <laughs> when it was on a shelf, it would look like it had a, a proper publisher's logo on it and everything. So I did all that. The, the copyright page I just took from another novel and adapted it. So all the wording was looked legal and right. correct and everything. And then I had the, the my one of my old bosses uh, ran his, run his own print company uh-huh. so he offered to do all my proof copies for free so he printed those off he even let me use his postage to send them out and then so then yeah. once all that was ready i was uh emailing book bloggers and other authors and just asking them if if they'd like a copy of a book to read and then having won the debut dagger really helped with that because otherwise they would just say well you know we always get all these like people asking us to read books, but saying, "Oh, I won the debut dagger." They suddenly yeah. were like, "Oh, okay." Um, so I sent uh, the books out, and through uh, printing with uh, Clays, I managed to get an account with Gardeners, who supply water stones. So and then I and then I sent the book to Waterstones. But obviously, they would never heard of me. They would never heard of this fake publishing yeah. outfit, and they'd never, and they never heard of the book. So they didn't take it. But I did get a, a letter back from them. And they said, "Look, it's it's on Gardner's system. So any shop that wants to order it can order it." So then I, I went to all the London bookstores that I could with a, a proof copy, and I went in and I sort of talked to the managers, and you know, most of them were good enough to order there and then on the spot. They just look it up on the system and say all right yeah we'll get 10 copies in and so they were ordering it and then on the waterstones website the email address of every shop in the country is on the site so then i I did a press release pdf and i was sending it to like most of the waterstones in in the Mm -hmm. in the country in in like sort of big urban centers where i thought the book might have some appeal and then it was getting ordered in you know scotland and and up and down the country in Waterstone. So and it was getting into independent bookstores as well, because they were ordering <laughs> fruit gardeners and I was just trying to pump stuff out on social media to make it look like, you know, there was there was a little bit of money behind it or something. <laughs> it was all just me and my bedroom. And uh, yeah, so it got self-published. But then it started to, to generate like really good reviews. It was getting like lots of five star reviews on Amazon and um, you know, people like Anne Cleves and, and Mick Heron I'd, I'd sort of given them physical copies of the book, and and they were good enough to read it, and then, you know, they were saying, "Oh, it's a fantastic book. Why why wouldn't anyone, you know, publish it?" And so it started to sort of do quite well, and I was and I was really yeah. pleased with the reaction, and I thought, "All right, all right." So, it, you know, I think I was actually right, and the publishers in this instance were wrong because a lot of the feedback was from the general reading public. It wasn't like because most people who read crime novels are white readership, um, so most of the, re- the reactions I was getting was from those readers. I remember one in one in particular that stood out was from a lady, and she said, "Oh, I'm I'm I don't think I'm the Yikes. target audience for this book because I'm like I'm a forty ish female white, and I live in Scotland." She goes, "But I absolutely love it." So, you know, it, you know, yeah, so. You know, and that and that was the general sort of consensus, the, the the feedback that I was getting. So, I was really pleased about that. But I, you know, I was still carrying on hustling because the, the sales were just sort of starting to to happen. And I think it, the book had been on sale for about two months. And I was at an event in um, in at Waterstones in Piccadilly, hustling the book. I had a couple of copies. I always went everywhere I went. I had a couple of copies in the, in my bag, so I could foist it on some unsuspecting soul. You know, here you go, read, read this. You'll love it. And um, I'd sort of give, I'd given out a couple of copies of the book. And then I was introduced to Charmaine Lovegrove, who had just set up Dialogue Books at Little Brown. And uh, so she said, oh, you know, tell me about your book. Uh, so I sort of told, told her about it. And she said, oh, that sounds really good. I, you know, can you send, you know, c- could you send me a copy? And I, I'd run out of copies. And I said, yeah, okay, I can send you a, a PDF tomorrow. And she was like, okay, fine. I'll, I'll read it over the weekend. And so I sent it to her and then the next, I think on the Monday, I basically got an email saying, oh, can you come in for a meeting? So I was like, okay, so, I, and I didn't even tell my agent because I just, I didn't expect much to happen. You know, I'd had a couple of meetings with publishers before. Um, so I went in on, on my own and uh, so we had a chat and at first thing she couldn't believe it was self-published because even the PDF I set, set, sent her was the, was the typeset one. So it looked like proper sort of uh, proof pages. And, uh, and it had a cover and it had, you know, all the, all the bump, all the, the copyright stuff and everything. And uh, she said, oh, you know, um, she said, look, we love the book and we think it would be just right <laughs> for our imprints, just what we're looking for. But, you know, what's the deal with your publisher? And I said, who are you looking at? Him? I said, I said, I said, <laughs> and they were like, what? Right. And I said, yeah, yeah. I self-published it and they were sort of looking going but there's a publisher's logo and a, and i had a fake office address in it in east london somewhere and i was going i was going no that, it's just yeah, me in my bedroom the, i made the paste. logo and, and they were like what and so i said so there's no issues with like contracts <laughs> or copyright i said no, no no none of that none of that and then i yeah <laughs> so they were like okay um and and then they said oh well look you know um would like to talk to your agent. Uh, and I said, okay, uh, well, but I, she doesn't even know I'm having this meeting. I said, can I get, let me get home and email her and tell her, give her a heads up that I've just been to a publishing meeting and I'm, you know, that you want to talk to her. And they were like, okay, all right, well, we'll email her. Like la- last thing at the end of the day. So I went yeah. home and I was sort of emailing uh, my agent. I said, oh, look, I've just had this um, <laughs> meeting with a publishers. And I think they might be interested in the book. And she was very like, Really, you know, that's my job, and I was like, Yeah, really sorry. Anyway, um, anyway, so two days later, I got an email from my agent saying, Uh, um, they want to buy the book, and I think they're going to offer you a two book deal, and uh, which is you know, a, a couple of days later is exactly what happened. So, yeah, no that way. was that, and then yeah, I had to way. take all my self published <laughs> copies that I put all that work into, oh, I had to take pull them all from sale. So, <laughs> you know, so I've cool. got a couple of boxes still left somewhere <laughs> of those. <laughs> and uh yeah actually somebody pointed out that they're going for a lot of money on on uh on like ebay and stuff like that now because because so few of them actually got sold and then they, they got pulled from sale so they're actually slowly quite rare so i guess all those book and, and bloggers and that i sent copies to now. and then signed they, you know, then, well, maybe one day they'll be <laughs> worth something you want to be creative, but, um, <laughs>
0: It would be the (laughs) artistic response. Or you could buy a nicer
2: house and say, Uh, I haven't got that many copies left. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so I pulled the book from sale and then it, it was bought by dialogue books. And then, uh, It went through another editing process at the publishers, but honestly so little got changed. Like it was just really tiny sort of alterations to it. And then it got a new title, Brothers in Blood, uh, a new cover and everything. And then it was released the following year in 2018. It got a really great reception by you know in the papers and stuff like that. And at the end of 2018 like, it went on to despite be all those brown by both the Times that. and The Guardian as one of the thrillers Ooh. of the year. So not too shabby for a <laughs> book that was turned down by every publisher who it went amazing. to. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> you
0: know, yeah, like, I know, you know those know, those, pesc- like those have pesky those pesky no listen, I've taken a step back. I've looked at the feedback. I'm not taking the no's. I'm just taking the positives from this. Everybody liked all of it. So it doesn't fit whatever zeitgeist they thought they were trying to hit. But I'm going to make my own one. <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, I, th- I think if, if the feedback a bit, oh, look, you know, yeah. the writing's not quite there maybe he needs another book or so under his belt you know stuff like that then I guess I would have just taken it on the chin and thought okay fair enough you know uh, maybe I'm not ready yet but but it wasn't I mean it was overwhelmingly pretty positive you know good writing great characters fresh setting you know good action dialogue all that stuff so that just made me think well you know, why would I just shove this in a drawer? Then I, I want to, I want to do a bit, I want to do a yeah. bit more with it. And then I think just, uh, you know, to have that validation. Yeah, that's the stuff that Dream uh, made. The of year me. when it when it now, came now out and got published you, to be picked um, as a thriller of the year. Was two I mean, that deal. to me, after How all of that, the second book take? <laughs> was bloody amazing. Yeah, definitely. Boom. <laughs>
0: yeah.
2: Brilliant. <laughs> that, took, that took two you years. I've
0: been still sitting there
2: waiting yes six months. So I'm getting right faster. To... And I think the next one would have taken one, <laughs> but now I've got a full time job again. Because as most. <laughs> <laughs> can yeah, we,
0: can
1: you tell
2: sorry, Jane, that's, that's going to be a bit three. of a wait. <laughs> uh, if I knew. I could, I could sort of drop some hints, but at the moment I'm just planning it out. So what I do know is that Zach and Jags, because I had started writing a standalone and I was sort of, I'd started writing it when um, Brothers in Blood first got turned down. So I'd started writing this standalone and then when I got the two book deal, they said, well, we'd like a, a follow-up to, to Brothers in Blood. So I was like, okay, so I shelved that. And then from the conversations we had, it was like, okay, you could do the standalone after Stone Cold Trouble. So yeah. as soon as I finished Stone Cold yeah. Trouble, I went back to the standalone.
1: Yeah. yeah, And
2: that's a story I really want to tell as well. You know, one of those ones that sort of bugs you. Think, oh, I really want to write this, you know, like, yeah, it feels like a good idea. And yeah, so I went back to that and I sort of made a good start on that. And then I had this inkling that although they said I could do the standalone next, they might want another Zack and Jag. So I was sort of starting on that. And then when I heard back from my agent, she said, "Uh, yeah, what are you you working on next? And I said, well, I'm working on this standalone and I've got an idea for a a separate book as well, slightly historical, just sort of set after the Second World War. And and so my agent went back to my publishers and then came back to me. She said, yeah, they really like the sound of both those books. But can you do another Zack and Jags? And then you can do those other two. So I was like, "All right, okay, all right." But I've got to come up with an idea now because I that I wasn't told. You know, I didn't know that I was going to be doing another Zacker Jack. So at the moment, I'm I'm sort of uh, developing story ideas, and I'm going to sort of tie together into the book. And there's there's sort of various plot strands. But um, as with the second book, uh, there's going to be a lot of the the characters will pop up again. So he'll still be working at the builder's yard. So you get. All those guys from the builders' yard will, will pop up. I and I think a lot of yeah. people quite liked Jaggs's uh, Jags' uncle, Lucky. So so he, he may make an appearance, and I think Tonko yeah. was a pretty good character, yeah. so he he might he might make an appearance too. And I think the girls the girls will be in it a little more because I wanted them to be in the second book, but just the way the story kind of planned out, it it didn't work to have them in it. So Ah, yeah, Uh, there'll be a feature in book And
1: and obviously like really memorable, like you say, all those different things, but your your baddie characters are so well crafted. Um...
2: Really great. Thank you so much. You know, that's something I worry about because when you're writing baddies, you just, yeah. You just don't want them like, to be sort of like cardboard cutouts or something, you know? And and I always yeah. worry no, that I if think, I've um, made them sort of well, real like, enough.
1: I'm really bad at like spoiling stuff, but I don't think I will be. But like the two brothers in the first one, uh, and obviously the father, the family thing and um, and the thing that we talked about at the start with the sort of winds inducing thing. Like and then the, the second one where they pull up <laughs> to the house and the, the <laughs> yeah. guy's sort of like got a security guards and stuff, it's all like it's just so well done. Um do you have a way of like, do you think about them beforehand, or do you kind of let them develop?
2: I do think before about them beforehand. I think with with the first book and like the Bra family, that whole idea had been kind of percolating for a long time. And I kind of, I would sort of the, the the whole setup of the builders yard is because two of my mates actually worked in a, <laughs> the, a builders yard. That that one is is. A, basically a a direct copy of so and the thing is so they gave me loads of material about you know i remember i went around their their place with a with a dictaphone with a voice recorder and we were just drinking beers and i just left it on record and they were talking about when they used to work there and it was like (laughs) and it was loads of material but stuff that i couldn't use in the book as well that i might try and put in later books but so that's based on a real place but i I could, I could only go into certain bits of it. And then I'd, you know, I'd been outside it and taken photographs and then I kind of uh, made up what the, the inside was like, but I knew I wanted, you know, the, the owner was going to be the, the sort of the head of the family kind of, and the, the main yeah. baddie. And then I knew he'd have his sons because the family, there were so many guys <laughs> yeah. actually like that in Southall as well, especially around when I was growing up. So they were, Well, not just the family business, but just sort of you'd have these like big guys who'd go around with like pretty fearsome reputations and stuff, you know. Um, So those guys, yeah, I kind of knew. But the actual story itself at the beginning, I kind of wrote, because I didn't plan the first, uh, I didn't know what I was doing for the first book. So I didn't, I didn't plan anything out and I just started writing and you know, that and that's one another reason why it took so long because I was writing myself down these sort of dead ends that wouldn't go anywhere, and then sort of later on that they were completely cut, so there was whole characters that were cut, and because I'd written them, but then they just yeah. didn't work with the story. And um, I remember I got about halfway through the first book, and because it was written over such a long sort of period, when I got about halfway through, I'd sort of forgotten the order of events and when things had happened, and I thought, oh. I'm... I need, I need some way of knowing. So I sort of did a, a retroactive plan just to help me of, of the order of events, like when things had happened. And I thought, actually, that's quite useful. I should do one going forward as well, because it might, might help me write the bloody book. So I did a plan for for the sort of second half, and it was just really loose, because I didn't, I didn't really know what was going to happen. And the ending of the first book of Brothers in Blood... I had no idea how it was going to end until I got to the ending, and then I thought, "Shit, how am I going to tie all this together?" And so I went. I just used to go for like really long walks with my headphones in, listening to music, trying to come up with an ending. And then finally, I, I managed to sort of think of something, and then I worked that through, and then got the ending that worked. But for the second book, I thought, you know what? I, I quite liked the idea of having a, a plan, a rough plan. So. Uh, with that one, yeah. I sort of plan it, because I use Scrivener to write, so I use the, the sort of outline option, Yeah, there, and I just do basically a sentence for what I think is going to happen in each chapter, and I can break it down by days and, and stuff like that, so it really helps me keep a, a, a sort of overall track of the story, and, and I roughly know how long I want each chapter to be, so I know... Yeah. you know what I can squeeze in a lot of the time though I was trying to put too much into one chapter so I'd yeah. split it into yeah. two and, so it's outline,
0: uh, but it's such too, a loose kind of, kind of plan right. that These I have just, I can
2: you can I just chop and change languages. and you, you
0: know wasted all of that time and as you were saying earlier you know when you're writing it out yeah and you've written this beautiful paragraph and it's for fuck it doesn't matter because it's shit, and it, it doesn't really relate to the book at all but it's beautiful so you're never going to delete it because it has to be there you write the whole like, the book around this beautiful paragraph
2: <laughs>
0: that was never really supposed to be in the book in the first place. Yeah. So. So it'd be nice to just go write bullet points, vertical cards. Up, this moves here, that moves. here, yeah. this goes this way. I mean, it may club. And,
2: exa- and that's exactly what I did. I remember I, I was writing, I was sort of writing the beginning of the book, and then I, I realized, I got to this realization yeah. that hang on no action it's all set up at the beginning there's no action takes place and then i sort of looked and then i just thought oh well hang on this chapter yeah. can, doesn't have to be there it can, can be right it up near a the beginning throw it just to really like, kick start things and yeah yeah that's what i did i just plumped it there and i had to yeah. sort of like rearrange a little yeah, bit of the stuff in the lead up to it and then a little of bit of the stuff after and a but it just worked and i just
0: thought oh, after that you then have to yeah. unpick and change
2: yeah but the characters for um so i knew that one was going to be set in slough and i knew that um i knew i wanted like a really wealthy guy and he had to be a little bit obnoxious and a little bit dodgy and and all those things but then i sort of knew that going going in so then i was able to sort of flesh out the character in the in the scene when i got to the scenes i kind of had a picture of him in my mind and then it was just sort of like Sort of rounding out that character as as the scene progressed and stuff.
1: Yeah, no, oh, it's really interesting. I um I used to live in Maidenhead, um so I used to get the train into like you know along the every stop I'd sort of get off every weekend and go walk around something. So I I kind of know the areas, so, but you
2: like you bring it to life so it, well,
1: and it's it's easy to see that even if you haven't been there, you could. So it's really well
2: done. Well, I spent I, I, I spent twenty years sort of goofing off, hanging around, and going to pubs there. But yeah. who knew that was all research? <laughs> That's what you call it, yeah. Retrospective
0: <laughs> research. Never <laughs> you kept your from the dog and, death I, and know, I know, I <laughs>
2: know. <laughs> uh,
0: I had a I had a friend who's um I, I used to work with this um with this woman whose uh whose parents were from Slough, but they but they wouldn't. They wouldn't admit it. They would always say it was North Windsor, darling. My <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah. proud Asian. Family, yes. As they, yeah, yeah, on, yeah. yeah. Everyone, <laughs>
2: every, everyone tries that one. <laughs> yeah. We're <it> proud. <laughs> but,
1: one, of the, uh, one of the Twitter questions we had was um, Do you make yourself hungry with the incredible, incredible food that you put in the books? <laughs>
2: You know what? I, I guess I must be hungry when I'm writing those scenes. <laughs> I'm thinking about food, and I just think, mm, what would I fancy right now? And I sort of type that in, and then I'll probably stop and go and have something to eat. <laughs> but I didn't realize—I didn't realize—and I think another another reason for that is probably because it took such a long time, right write in the book. Uh, I didn't realize how much reference to food there was in it. You know, but it was only. And I, even when I was editing, I was just like, "All right, it's fine." You know, people have got to eat and stuff like that. Even your characters. Um, but then people were commenting on how hungry they were getting while reading the book. And I, that was a really unusual bit of feedback to get, and, you know, people saying, oh, I got really hungry and I was just really fancied having some samosas and, and this and that. And I was like, oh, well, OK, I didn't realise I'd sort of put that much sort of food <laughs> reference in there. But then again, I guess that, it is an important part of Asian culture. So, you know, mm. I mean, it would have been weird if it wasn't
0: there. You know, it's fine if it's not yeah. there, really. <laughs>
2: Yeah. yeah exactly
1: yeah. <laughs> yeah it didn't feel just pushed in for the sake of it yeah it was it, f- it fitted the story well
2: well yeah but and that was the thing i wasn't putting in there i' would, like i wasn't forcing it in there either it was just. Yeah. i suppose it, it' just sort of came about sort of quite naturally and i'm you're trying to keep it realistic for the characters as well because if they never <laughs> if they ate you'd it. kind of wonder like geez you know they just yeah yeah how have they got the energy how how they got the energy to get in all these <laughs> bites <laughs> Did you
1: did you get any feedback from your like agent or any of the editors about um like the the sort of not really the level of violence because it it fits the story but like was there anything where they said like you know you've got to tone it down a bit or anything or did they make you change anything?
2: Um, I think the, my first editor with my agent, I think she did sort of question whether it was going to a, a bit too far in places, especially like with the first book and but they didn't really ask me to to cut anything or anything like that uh but i remember when it got bought by dialogue and then it went to the editor there the publishers and i got um i got an email saying that that whole chapter that we were talking the win the wincy making chapter she said this is very graphic and you know, I think perhaps we should cut it, cut it, and I was I, and I, yeah, and I was like, would that yeah, that was her suggestion but and I was like, you know, it wasn't just me being precious about it, but i i went I went back I, and I wrote a really sort of detailed email uh saying why I felt that that chapter had to stay pretty much as it was, and you know one of the reasons is that up until that point you only kind of hear secondhand about the two main characters and how vicious they are. You don't actually, you're not actually present for it. And that's the first time that, you know, you kind of witness it right there. And after that, it suddenly ups the whole sort of danger level for not just Zach, but for Rita and, and the other characters in the book. You suddenly know just how much danger they could be in. Uh, and I, I kind of I laid it all yeah. out in, in this email, and then I got a response yeah. back saying, you're absolutely yeah, right, we'll leave it. That, you, know, <laughs> so,
0: you could, as an author, you could be like, oh, God, yeah, the publisher is right. But if you stick with your, like, no, I, I put it in for this, and we can yeah. have a debate, but I, I'm going to have the hoodspot to say, I put it in for this. <laughs> this is the reason we've seen this in-
2: well, yeah, and I felt I felt yeah. very much that way. I mean, for most, most like nearly all of the changes, I'm not that precious, you know. And I can see yeah. where good suggestions are good suggestions, and I usually just go with everything. But um, so with with the second book, I yeah. did get <laughs> when I when I first sent it to my my editor, um, she came back and said, "It's it's really it's more violent than the first book," you know it's a bit, it's a bit too violent. So I went through the whole of the first book and I detailed every scene, violent scene. And there was nine. And one of those happens off camera. And in the new book, there's 11, but four of those happen off camera. So I, I was saying it was fairly even, and there was nothing as, as wince inducing as that scene in the first book. And like the four of the scenes, that happen off camera is where, you know, actually both the murders that happen are kind of off camera, but because they I guess the way they're kind of told and described, it feels more immediate than it actually is. You're not actually witnessing it, but you're hearing about it. And I kind of, you know, I detailed, I kind of went through it and said, well, you know, so it's not actually more violent, really. It's, it's about the same. And, and I think in the second book that, um, Zack is actually attacked more than he is the aggressor, uh, so he wasn't the one being violent. And then we were okay about that. But the the ending, the whole ending of Stone Cold Trouble, did have to change. We're not not so much not so much the ending, but kind of the tone and the focus of it, because the original ending was a lot was a bit darker, and it had Zack being a much darker character within it within that ending sequence and my editor was uh, and it was a very good point uh, she said well look you you don't want to alienate the readers you want them to be on Zach's side whatever happens at the end and so then yeah. we sort of came up with a couple of options and you know one was that they will go to the police which I thought no that would never happen and then she said well the other one is that you know that, um, that Tonka has is basically lied to him about what his intentions are, and then straight away, I, yeah, I know how how I can do that. So it just meant sort of rejigging the ending and changing changing the focus and some and some of the yeah. uh, Zach's uh, thought processes and, and and what they say and stuff. But I, that was actually it was a lot of fun to just tweak it because then I then I could really play up Tonka as being yeah. much a yeah. much harder a harder, more vicious character. It's so and, and that was fun.
0: Some, uh, more yeah. blood into that character. Yeah.
2: Oh, hello. Hello. Yeah, you yeah.
0: Ooh, getting there all this time? <laughs> yeah.
1: Um at this stage we usually play a, a game called One Star Superstar. Okay. Where I read a review of a one star, not of your book. Okay. Um <laughs> I haven't even looked. Um I, <laughs> I, I have figures. so I might
2: know them. <laughs> wait,
0: Chris, wait, you've got your first one star this this week, didn't you?
1: I did. I got my first one star and they didn't even leave a, a review. They just left a star.
2: Oh, well, sometimes that's At a least. blessing in disguise because do you really want to read why they thought it was um, a one star? I um, read mine. Uh, our other author bit of, of, Rascott of Rascott bad mood. The same
0: thing. So he wondered yeah. about- But he wondered whether we'd rejected somebody who'd taken (laughs) hump. Yeah, on the same day. But I think it's just because your book's are shit
1: and they've just given you one. Yeah, Yeah, possibly. Possibly. (laughs) I think I'm there, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I sort of felt, at least now I'm part of the club, but I just, yeah, I
2: kind of thought, you know, Give it to me. But yeah, but I'll, t- I'll tell you what I do though. Just to, to, you know, to make myself feel better, I go books that I love. I go and look at their reviews and I read their one star reviews, yeah. and then I and then I think, well, this is a book I absolutely love, and if some, yeah. some idiots given that a one star review, then what do they know?
0: And that's the point of this yeah. game. And the, the other thing we love doing is when you do get a one star review, click on that reviewer and see what else they've reviewed. Because I do, my, the, <laughs> I love because then they become characters.
1: <laughs> this, yeah, and this guy, um, the guy that's reviewed this, hasn't given many. It seems like he only comes on to review the things that he hasn't liked. Mm. Um, He's so, just gonna hate. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. So this is his one star. What's the book? Okay. Um, so one star. This is awful. What a ponderous book. With twenty-five hours still to go, we gave up. It's not just the inherent racism or the flimsy characterization, it just takes so long. And as for the main character, why choose a narrator who can't even sing the star-spangled banner or who thinks that to do a female voice you speak a little higher and stretch all your <laughs> and stretch all your vowels to sound more feminine. The story has no drive and the writing is at times like Alan Partridge on a bad day with purposeless asides from the character uh and that doesn't make sense, with purposeless asides from the character then in focus and the repetition of stuff we already know or unfared is repeated again and again and again. Awful.
0: So is this is this a review of an audiobook?
2: Yes. Um, <laughs> hang on. Twenty five so, yeah, hours absolutely. still to go. So you've listened to some of it. That's yeah, a long man. book.
1: I thought that might be the clue because it's a very very long book. Is it the testament? No. It's um it's 1400 pages.
0: That sounds like a JK Rowling. No, Robert Galbraith.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Is it a crime book? Um it's more dystopian by a very 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 famous author. Um set in America.
2: Uh, in a sort Star of. Star Spangled uh,
1: Banner yeah. gave that bit away. Mm. Yeah. It's not the stand. It is the stand. Yeah, <laughs> well done, <laughs> Steve. <King>. Well done. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, they weren't impressed with the story or the the narrator of the audiobook. Yeah, but more of that criticism was yeah, yeah, one, right?
2: yeah, not for the well, not for yeah. the actual book. I mean, that's a classic, the book.
1: Now. Um, yeah. I, well, I've not read it. I bought it, and then I got sort of you know worried about the size of it. I just thought it's such a commitment, isn't it? Oh,
0: 25 hours um, in a bit. <laughs> 25 and a half hours. Um. With
1: a with the guy that can't sing and do a female voice. Life's too short. Um, what are you reading at the minute, Ammer?
2: Well, so I've just finished reading The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman, which was a lot of, oh, that was think? a lot of fun, yeah. I, I, I really enjoyed yeah. that. I could see that being a film yeah. or a TV series. I've just started reading Murder Most Unladylike by Robin Stevens. Yes, yes, uh, which was a suggestion from my daughter, who's nine. Because every so often I will read one of her books that she's really enthusiastic about, and then we can talk about it. So I've just started that. But then straight after that, as a bit of a change, I've got a book called Edge of the Grave by Robbie um, Morrison. Uh, and it and it's mm. not due out till March, so it's a proof copy. But I mean, it sounds right up my street. So the description is a, a Scottish Peaky Blinders meets a tartan Untouchables. No, <laughs> yeah, <no>. so <laughs> yeah. set in thirties, it's a gangster uh, novel set in thirties Glasgow. Wow, man! Yeah, exactly. It. Yeah, I'm keep. Uh, it's cool. Edge of the, of the Grave, day. yeah, and it's due out. I think it's due out in March or something.
1: Wow, sounds great. Yeah, sounds, yeah, that's oh, right. It's it'll, be, it'll
2: be a bit different yeah. from Murder Most Unladylike. is is set in a girl's boarding school, and then that's on the mean streets of Glasgow. Be, I hope I don't get. I hope I don't get <laughs> yeah. them mixed up when I'm talking to my daughter about. <laughs> 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 <She's> <laughs>
0: terrible.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what about yourself sean i'm i'm
0: reading this lovely proof oh i nice. got hired by craig Raston. ah yeah 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 we just uh it's a cracker i just i even just when you get proofs and you're like i just love it there is no yeah. in the hide it made me think of ghostbusters and i and i wish that rob was here because chris hasn't watched ghostbusters because he's a child um but uh, you know when she says there is no dana only Zool.
2: which so are we, are we talking about the original ghostbusters or the remake yeah of course
0: 1985 yeah yeah classics with bonnie the hotness <laughs> yes
2: yes indeed
1: <laughs> i need to watch
0: it yeah you well you needed to have watched it as a teenage boy to experience what we're talking about but other <laughs> <Yeah>. than <laughs> there is no dana only Zool. <laughs> Um, anyway uh i digress this is why we need rob parker he understands we've got an entire Playmobil ghostbusters <laughs> hey, we miss you rob um yeah man, thanks so much for Bye. joining us you're the, very welcome, the, yes, crazy, you're welcome. and thanks for sharing Goodbye. your your uh your story i think that sort of inspires everybody who thinks Oh, I can't see anybody like me. Ever well, I, I
2: hope so. I hope so because yeah. I, I never thought I would do it, and I, I, I'm so glad that I have. And you know, I've got two books published now, and it really is a dream come true. So
0: yeah, yeah. no, yeah. but it's also,
2: and you know these
0: are these are books that bring entertainment and joy and every, and, and you know light to everybody's every reader's lives, and 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 then it, all you need is one person to come back and go, God, I really love that. Book. Yeah. So, like, i'm done thank you um so uh again thank you so much for joining us and and we're looking forward to number three do not wait five years
2: uh, no no you won't have to i'm on the case i'm on yes. the case as soon as i've uh, worked out what it's going to be i'll get cracking with the writing and get it out as soon as i can
0: good stuff well give us a shout and we'll all shout yeah, about forward it. To it. thank you very much we'll bring you back on to promote it like a selfless promotion or
2: author yes. that you must have to be yes indeed <laughs> i'd look forward to that all right thanks so much all right thanks a lot guys you. cheers
0: Bye. All. bye bye